0: To another episode of talking force we have a great guest today and i think you're going to really enjoy it and i will go without further ado introduce our guest zach zach how are you i'm doing great how are you good I, I know we just recently got a chance to uh meet with each other uh at your power conference this past weekend and not only was it a great event i also thought it was a really incredible experience having been to conferences for years it was one of the first conferences that i thought that actually tried to address the whole coach uh, and so the fifth quarter kind of coaching movement if people aren't familiar with it uh, I think it's pretty important could you just kind of walk us through just kind of your story how you got into it and you know specifically what was that kind of moment where you decided that you're like yeah I definitely I want to become a coach yeah well thanks Thomas for for being
1: uh, for you guys being a part of it first of all and and you're right you know we, we try to separate ourselves um, as a conference in that way um, um, you know focusing on the holistic uh, nature of what a coach does and, and what a coach should do to really make an impact for the fifth quarter, which is the life. Um, and so, uh, getting into kind of why I got into coaching, it was, it was really that, you know, I had a coach, um, that, that made an impact on my life. And, uh, I, uh, I was, I was like, man, I, I want to, I want to do this. And And that guy was my high school coach. His name was Bill Clark. But he was the first coach that really um, just got me to believe in myself like no other. You know, I always had goals, and I always wanted to achieve um, you know great things, but he was the one who really taught me uh, how to to you know put the work behind those goals and and how to really separate myself. and so, specifically coaching was then uh, athletic performance kind of narrowed. uh, I would probably say my my sophomore year in college. Uh, I utilized, you know, the weight room, uh, speed training, nutrition, even back in, you know, like early 2000s, mental conditioning, like back when nobody was really talking about that. I utilized those things um to to give myself an edge um because i wasn't uh necessarily gifted um with elite uh genetics uh to to, to give me that but but i realized you know what i can i can kind of level the playing field with some of these really really talented players by doing these these things of athletic performance really well um when they're not doing them and having the discipline um not to do some of the things that they were doing uh, allowed me to, to show up, you know, on practices and on game days um, and play at a higher, higher level. So I wanted to, once I discovered that, I wanted to give that back to athletes um, because I knew how important those things were uh, and I loved them, you know, naturally it was something I was passionate about. Um, I liked to do it. I realized how much it helped me and uh, it, it was a perfect fit for me to try to make
0: a, a career out of that. And that's what I've tried to do. Now, when you talked about your journey, you obviously played, and then there was a time where you had to make a choice, and and you kind of started getting your experience through either internships or kind of assistant positions. Uh, I find it now, and and I've said this to some of my students, is that you're not just going to fall into the director role overnight. And even if you were to, you're probably not prepared. We know it takes about 500 to 800 hours to develop a coach to the point of that you're useful. And I say that loosely of that you can read the room, you understand the emotional side, you understand the technical side, and you can successfully execute a lift under guidance. But to really start running multiple racks, to run a room, to run a team or multiple teams, there's a nuance to that, that you definitely don't want to be put into a situation that you're not prepared Um, And then I want to kind of get to where you're at now, where you're actually now running multiple teams. So how do you how do you get to where you're at and kind of what what has that journey been like and what have you learned along the way? Sure. So uh,
1: my journey to get to where I I am now, um, it really started when I was when I was playing, you know. So um, in college, I went to UAB, which is now a really, really, really good football program. Here in Birmingham, and uh, we were pretty good when I was there, but we did not have the the same resources and and coaching, you know, that uh, some other schools may have had. And so, a lot of my training was self taught, starting in college, uh, because I knew, uh, like I said earlier, I knew that was an area that I had to really do well to to try to gain an edge. So I I really started self teaching. Uh, there. And when I say self-taught, I don't necessarily mean, um, like internet. I mean, I sought out coaches. So I would, I remember I would drive to Atlanta. There was a guy named Chip Smith who ran this facility called competitive edge. And, uh, I would go train with him in summers and I would, you know, just learn from him. I and And I would do stuff like that all the time. I would seek out coaches, um, in the private sector, um, uh, and I would learn from them and I would train and I would bring that stuff back and and I would do that stuff. so it really started there, just being hungry and and, and not uh, having excuses but but learning how to do things on my own, I guess you could say uh it it morphed into uh when I got an opportunity to play in the NFL, then I learned from those coaches as well uh and I, and I didn't just learn by hey Doing what they do, I asked them questions specifically. I I told them what I wanted to do in life um, after football because I knew at that point, and um, I asked if they would help me, you know, on my on my path. So I really utilized the opportunity in the NFL not only to play, but to get um, a, a head start on coaching, you know. And so um, that was with the the Green Bay Packers, the Baltimore Ravens, the New Orleans Saints. NFL Europe and so all these coaches who had you know great experience and great knowledge I was picking their brains and I was writing in my notebook and I was I was learning so that was really what I tell people that that was kind of like an internship for me Um, uh, because I I spent you know the first three years out of college doing that instead of you know maybe a traditional path for a a strength and conditioning professional would to be do an internship or a GA. I, I never did those necessarily right out of college, but I utilized my time in the NFL to learn and to grow. Um, after the NFL, I, um, I, did, I did an internship at the University of Alabama with Coach Scott Cochran. Um, I was back here in Birmingham finishing my degree. I never finished my undergrad. Um, I left a semester early um, to pursue the NFL, so I had to come back here Um, to finish undergrad at that time, I did a double internship. So university of Alabama in the morning, UAB in the afternoon with a coach named Lou Dineen, he, um, was in charge of the UAB basketball team, but, uh, I did that for about four months. So Tuscaloosa in the morning, drive back to Birmingham in the afternoon, just to, you know, uh, it's about a 45 minute drive. So really just kind of dedicated that semester of my life to continue continued growth and learning and once I finished that degree I got an opportunity to go out to Exos it was called Athletes Performance at the time this was 2007 and um, I spent four years with with Athletes Performance coaching and and learning and and that was a place that I'm really really grateful for um, because there was a education curriculum of not only you know uh, education in the classroom, but practical. Um, and so I really don't think I could have got a better experience as a young coach than, than being there and really, um, being taught there, there are four big pillars, which I've adopted as, as my own, um, that, that make up human performance are mindset, movement, nutrition and recovery, uh, and really trying to be great and be, and be the best that we can as coaches and practitioners in those four areas. And, um, If we're leaving one of those out, we know we're we're missing a pretty big, a pretty big piece of performance. So I did that for four years. Then I got an opportunity to be the head strength coach at UAB. I'm sorry. I skipped the NFL. I got an opportunity to be the uh, the assistant strength coach for the Green Bay Packers. And that that opportunity really, like I said earlier, started because I was asking so many questions as a player. Mark Levat, who was an assistant when I was a player, he he was the one teaching me and educating me back then. So he knew, he knew how passionate I was. We stayed in touch. He became the head coach. He hired me as his assistant after I was done playing. So that that's a good story of, of how relationships um, go long after what you may think. Um, whereas a lot of people that, Oh, once I'm, you know, cut from green Bay, I'm never going to see those people again. Well, I got an opportunity to, to come back into that organization um, as a coach uh, but because I, I showed passion and, and, and I, I handled myself the right way as a player. Um, so I did three years with Green Bay as an assistant. Then I got my first head job at UAB. And I got that first head job with Bill Clark, who I mentioned earlier in the show, being my high school coach, who had a great, great impact on me. Well, Bill you know had ultra success in the high school levels and then he got into college um and uh his first division 1 college head coaching job he he hired me um to be to be his head strength coach so it was a dream come true that kind of came to uh I'm not going to say a tragic end um, because all endings are are their new beginnings you know for something else but UAB shut down football after one year uh, we, we actually had the best season they'd had in 10 years, but they still shut it down. They said that they, they didn't have money to go on. And so uh, UAB was done, um, which led me to my next opportunity, which was Southern Miss. Um, I was the director of strength and conditioning uh, at Southern Miss for two and a half years. Um, I was also the interim athletic director at Southern Miss for the last three months of my career there while they were looking for a new permanent AD. Uh, I went to Kansas as a director for three years. Uh, I went after that to Mizzou as a director for two years and then um, led me back to Birmingham with the USFL.
0: Well, as we've, we've always talked about, it's never a straight line you know, to success. And your ability and resilience to be able to take situations that otherwise could be um, depressing or you know, put you in a bad mood, you, you somehow are able to bounce back and turn it into a positive. And, and uh, I think that's a trait that many young coaches don't necessarily see. You know, it's 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 good or bad. It's failure or success. And instead of trying to really, as you put in the conference, the marinade in adversity and then what can you do to make uh, something out of it. And I think that's a that's a wise lesson. And I'd also like to ask, you know, we talk about the two things we would always look for at Yale was you know with a young coach are you humble and hungry mm-hmm. cuz typically you got one you right. can be super humble and it's good enough or or you can be very hungry and then be ready to stab somebody in the back but to try to find that duality and and do it in a way you keep mentioning that you were asking questions and you were very engaged how did you temper that so that it also wasn't perceived as questioning how did you temper that so that it was you seeking information due to excitement and passion and not perceived by coaches as being well cuz I told you to and especially in the early 2000s there's been a massive shift in the way that coaching um is performed how did you walk that fine line early on sure i think the important thing to that is timing you know so
1: number one um i, I wanted to show my character first um and and, and my character is a, is is one of humility you know, and so in terms of being early, being respectful, staying late, uh, cleaning up after myself, um, saying yes, coach, yes, sir. You know, and so first of all, like showing them who I was as a person. You know, and I think that's important for young coaches to hear is like, hey, as soon as you get in, don't don't start like day one, like, hey, well, why are we show them who you are. You know, like, like let let your true character traits reveal first. Um, establish that relationship, um, and let them know how passionate you are in terms of your work ethic, um, and, and your ability to to do simple things well, being on time, you know, staying late, uh, doing things that others aren't. And then that gives you the opportunity to then, you know what? Coach, I, I'm really passionate about growing. Uh is there a time I'd always ask, you know, I would never just like in the middle of a session, Hey, talk to me. How do we, how do we coach this clean coach? If you have time, anytime this week at, could I stay like 10 or 15 minutes after and, and ask you some questions? I really want to try to get better. And so just being intentional on in how you ask and, and, and letting them uh, first see your character shine through. Um, and that that has gotta be a character of, of, like you said, um, humility, and hunger to grow not uh I think I know this better than you I'm gonna uh ask you some some really hard questions and and make you think that I'm smart um by coming off and and and, and using language that uh I think makes me smarter whether it's anatomical language or whatever but uh you know we've all had those interns and, and uh, I've had to sit those those guys and those girls down and say, "Hey, look, like I, I know you're hungry, and I know you you've just passed your CSCS, and you know everything the NSCA book says to do. You got it figured out. You got it figured <laughs> uh, but, it uh, out. But just just temper back a little bit, and and let me teach you about this whole other side of coaching that you really don't know anything about yet. And if you can humble yourself and and learn and grow, you're going to be a lot better. So. That's the key. Let, let them see your character first um, and your humility and, and then, you know, be intentional with how you ask to learn and grow.
0: Yeah, I would often tell the story to interns because obviously, again, you're excited, you're hungry, you come in and, and why can't I know now? Why can't I know now? You know, and I and I would draw these comparisons of that. If I gave you the keys to a Lamborghini, that'd be cool, right? Yeah, well, if I gave it to a 10, that wouldn't be so good Like you have to be ready you have to have a knowledge and understanding and we would often do things so for instance take cleaning in the weight room we would pick our turf we'd make the turf it's a blue turf it would be blue blue and blue blue was so blue there was not a strand or piece of hair or anything and that thing was blue and you hand pick it and you get down your hands and knees at the end of the night and so at first it's well this is stupid let's get a vacuum why do i have to do this and then i don't know about a week or two in they'd kind of get is that this is what our athletes deserve. Cause remember we're in the service business. We are serving our athletes. And if we can't take care of the turf, how are we going to take care of their bodies? And then about three or four more weeks go by and someone finally goes, hmm, there's a lot of attention to detail. And, and then the stars kind of align and they start to realize that no one's going to die if you miss a piece of lint on the turf. No one's going to die if the plates aren't exactly set up the right way. And it's not just doing it to be a jerk. But when I saw that, okay, now let's go look at some data now let's talk about programming because if you're off by three to five percent in our loading scheme you could blow somebody's back out and high performance is a razor's edge so what i'm looking for is your attention to detail and commitment to excellence even when you're tired because you may have to coach when you're tired like even when you've had a bad day nobody cares you have to get on stage and you have to coach and if there's a max lift going on or say it's a dynamic room and people are going around like you got to have your head on a swivel and I think that persistent attention to detail is very tough. And so we would do that. But I think also as a leader, as you mentioned, set up and facilitate times for questions. So have a book, you see something, write it down. You know, we're here to train the athletes, but you know, you are giving me your time. I will give you education and mentorship, but on Wednesday, we'll do it all hands. On Friday, we'll do a deep dive and come prepared and think about it and really think about it it was always so interesting to see from the beginning of the semester of why do we do that why do we do that to oh this individual has a lot going on at home this individual is an engineer this individual is an art student this individual has never touched a weight before but it's an all-american and so you start noticing those subtle nuances as you alluded to when you first passed your cscs you now know everything and it wasn't uncommon for the interns to leave and say wow we know nothing we're stupid Right. Well, that's actually the first step of enlightenment yeah. and realize that even after 20 years, you're going to know even less because right. it's infinite. But if you're here to serve, if you're here to have high levels of attention to detail and excellence, you can, you can build a career off that. And so that was kind of our kind of trajectory as we pumped out, you know, different success stories here and there, it, it all came back to that commitment to excellence and picking the turf, you know, running the data executing the lift and then and, and knowing when to speak up because you're, you're standing up for someone giving you their body at 18 to 21 that if something goes wrong you could mess them up for life and that's a heavy heavy weight and if you don't know that as a coach then you know you, you're setting yourself up for problems
1: yeah yeah I couldn't agree more with you on uh, what you said about serving you know I I personally do not believe you can lead if you can't serve um and and for the young coach that's listening uh let that be what you're all about if if you want to really um grow as a coach be a servant you know serve the athletes um you know their needs and uh that'll give you an opportunity to lead them and and that'll give your boss an opportunity to see that you know what you're all about the right things and um the more you serve and the more you give the more you earn the right to hey you know what lead this movement prep um, because you're not going to, you're not going to lead the movement prep by walking around acting like, you know, everything you're going to lead the movement prep by serving the athletes, the athletes um, listening to you. Cause they know like, all right, this person's really invested here. Um, and now you're going to have an opportunity to, to lead performance. Well, so I couldn't agree more.
0: And I think the athletes have an incredible, you know, BS detector when you're doing it for yourself and you've got your phone out so you can get more likes and you're recording. Uh, You're doing all these things about you and about you. I I don't think athletes take that very well and 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 when we say serve i know someone's listening and go well okay so they get to you know walk all over you No, I, I thought we ran a pretty tight ship and you know what sometimes in serving you have to help individuals that maybe don't understand you know why do you need to hold that door open you know on campus when nobody's watching why do you need to do those little things and there's a lot of development and again as speaking to football there was a lot of male development but on the women's side you know, as we were, we had 32 different teams. Um, and it was the same thing, even at Salve in the division three level, there's a lot of just growing up that happens. And the weight room is a, an environment where failure is actually okay. You're pushing yourself learning how to bounce back. And those are a lot of lessons that, you know, individuals are going to carry long after that they stop playing. And so taking that weight, Taking that responsibility and shepherd it as best as you can should be the kind of goal of every coach. And if you can win some games along the way, then so be it. But just remember that that's a small window in an individual's life that, you know, is going to have a very large impact, you know, on the years to come afterwards. No doubt. No doubt.
1: I think the best servant leaders are uh, described like this. Uh, A piece of steel wrapped in velvet. Uh, So the exterior is soft and smooth. And those are the things like you mentioned, opening the doors, giving a, Hey, good morning. But the, the, the inside is, is still, and those are those standards, those non-negotiables. And and those don't bend time, respect, you know, uh, whatever your non-negotiables or your standards of your program are, those don't bend at all. Um, But that doesn't mean you got to be, you know, a prick at all times, uh, because nobody like that is going to be a good leader. They're not going to be a fifth-quarter coach. Um, and so somebody told me that analogy before, and I've always tried to live by, it. you know what, uh, a piece of steel wrapped in velvet, and, and that's that's what a servant leader looks like. And uh, that's how I try to operate.
0: I like that. Now, now, getting to where we are today, how do you apply that kind of concept now? And for those who don't know, you've recently taken the position at the USFL, can you talk a little bit about this league? I know in the past there's been different leagues. There's been XFLs and now this USFL. Like kind of give me that 30,000-foot view of what it is uh, and then kind of dive into your role, which is pretty unique. And, and I'm not sure if there's another professional league other than maybe the UFC that kind of has a umbrella-type system um, in the director role.
1: Yeah, sure. So the USFL, United States Football League, uh, started uh, – A long time ago, you know, it was uh, it was popular back in the early 80s um, and then uh, went away. And so we've uh, brought it back. Fox owns the league um, and we brought it back. We've kept the same team names, the same cities, um, same logos. Everything's very similar. Um, We've just operated a a little differently than most in terms of our structure. Um, We've done that for longevity. And and to try to try to create some sustainability within our league because we understand a lot of these a lot of the spring leagues have not been able to make it due to a lot of circumstances. Um, uh, But so we we said, hey, what do we need to do differently? How do we learn from others' mistakes, and uh, what do we need to do differently to sustain, you know, and make this something? Because uh, Americans love football. Um, And there's a lot of really, really, really talented football athletes in our country that are not playing in the NFL because there's so few spots in the NFL. You know, offseason rosters are at 90, I believe, and they got to cut to 53. There's 32 teams. So do the math. That's a lot, a lot of good players that were on an NFL roster in the offseason. And come September, they're not. And so where do those guys have a, a place to play? Well, without the USFL, they don't have anywhere to play uh, unless they want to go overseas or, you know, to Canada. Um, and so we we wanted to provide an opportunity for, for guys that are right there, you know, on the cusp of an NFL to continue to develop, to continue to um, to work on whatever it is that they're so close on, um, give them an opportunity to to achieve those dreams. And we also obviously wanted to provide entertainment for – a country that loves football. Uh, when there's a time period in the spring, when there's not a lot of football, we, uh, we have that. And so all of our games were nationally televised, but, uh, our structure is, is different than anybody else in that we created a, uh, you know, kind of a hub here in Birmingham, Alabama, the first year, all eight teams were here in Birmingham. They practiced here. They lived, they trained, they, you know, they did everything here. They played all the games here. Um, And so what we wanted to do from a, from a performance and wellness standpoint is, you know, build one big weight room, have one staff that, that trained all eight teams. So there was some uniformity in in the training that the guys were getting, there wasn't, you know, Hey, they are getting this, they're not getting this. Uh, So the programming was similar for, for all teams. Um, It was, uh, it was something that uh, had never been done before. So there's a lot of logistical, um, you know, uh, problems to solve. Um, but we uh, we operated like that, you know, that they would train as teams. So there were, there were 50-man rosters. We had a pretty big weight room. So we did, you know, full teams at once. And generally we would go two to three teams in the morning, two to three teams in the afternoon. Um, and we would rotate based on their game day, you know they're lifting days of the week, and so uh, you know I directed that. I had a staff, a, a great staff that that helped me execute what we needed to execute. But um, it was a it was a great experience. You know to have that many guys. You know I kind of I kind of uh tried to see it as a two for one, kind of a high school a high school strength and conditioning coach because they have really big groups. Um, and so like I tried to learn from a lot of those guys because I'd never I'd never had groups of of 50 unless it was like maybe training camp when we were going offense and defense in college but it was a big group, you know and so uh but also like maybe a small college um hey we we're training everybody at once um and so how do I really um do that in a way that we could be effective and and, and have a good coach's eye on, on as many people as we can, so we operated like that, and uh, you know it, it went well. Uh, I think we we really showed the guys that we wanted to be detailed in, in our training. Uh, we want to be detailed not only in in the the training, but our, our what we did from a mental wellness standpoint. Uh, we provided a lot of education in that regard uh, to, to our athletes, and, and just again prove to them that. Their health and wellness is in our best interest, and the only way to do that is to walk the walk every day, um, and, and provide, uh, you know, daily action that shows, like, all right, they're really trying to do this, uh, in an elite way, uh, and that's what we tried to do. Were we perfect? No, not at all. There's a lot of room to grow in year two, um, but I think the athletes of the USFL knew by the end of it, that, you know what, Coach Woodfin, his staff, they care like about our wellness, our athletic ability, our mental state, and and they did everything they could to help us grow.
0: That's awesome. Now, when you go forward into year two, what are some of the things you're going to do differently?
1: Yeah, so um, year two, we, we will have another hub in year two. So part of the growth model of the US, USFL is um, to start – well, so we get some momentum, and then we expand from there. So we're gonna have a second hub in year two. Do not know where that hub will be yet. Um, but we'll have four teams in that hub, and then we'll keep four teams here in Birmingham. Um, and uh, we'll basically set up now two weight rooms. So a weight room in both hubs, and it'll go from from all four hundred athletes being in one spot. So now will have two hundred in one spot, two hundred in another. So I'll bring on uh, more staff. I'll still be the director, um, of of the league, but but now someone will be elsewhere operating away from me instead of everybody operating with me, and uh, we'll grow in in that regard. And and then hopefully by year three, year four, we start getting uh, the majority of these teams into their own cities, and that's when that's when the structure will move more to a traditional structure where everybody has their own performance coaches. Um, uh, at that point in time, I'll probably pull back from the, the day-to-day coaching and, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll operate within the league because I do work for the league. And uh, then I'll be in a little bit different role um, from what I am now of coaching every single session, you know, with every single athlete.
0: Moving forward, how do you see that? it doesn't fall into the trap of the xfl or the other leagues that have tried and failed you mentioned one thing that it's in the spring not the summer you i don't know what the rule structure is and maybe you could you know for listeners to understand i know uh xfl got kind of gimmicky um but then on the second iteration i thought you know they started experimenting with rules that were actually you know pretty innovative and safe and that was able to push the limit to things that you know, maybe the NFL couldn't do because that's the traditional form. What are some things on the innovation side of things or rules or things that you think that will help increase the longevity? Because, again, anytime you start a new league, especially in the football space, there's a lot of expenses. So how do you make it profitable and sustainable? Sure. So, so speaking
1: to your first question, some things that we did differently um, than the NFL that I think that the, the football fan really enjoyed – and as if if you watch USFL you'd see this different camera angles so they had drone they had drones at every game and they had drone angles um they had um they had tv camera men on the field uh the NFL doesn't doesn't do that um they they had miked up players so you now you can start to get inside the game at a level that that uh, most fans have never experienced in terms of like the play call from the coach to the quarterback in the helmet, the play call from the quarterback to the offense, um, and then the execution of that play. And so some things that that are really avid football fans like, man, this is really, really cool. Um, you know, some rule changes that I thought were pretty cool. Um, you could go for one, two or three after a touchdown. You know, so if you're in a, a nine point game, the NFL, that's a two possession game. Well, in the USFL, that's a one possession game, you know, and so th- there's always opportunities to uh, to even the to game. The games rarely get out of hand because there's so many ways to get back into it. You know, instead of an onside kick in the USFL, this is one that, that I liked. You know, a lot of people were probably like ah, you instead of kicking it onside, if you were down, you could run a play. So. For example, let's say you, you do an onside kick from the 35. Well, you miss it, and the team gets the ball at the 45, and now they're going in. They can score quick. Very similar philosophy, but instead of the kick, because we know the kick has very low percentage in getting recovered by the kicking team, you can run a play. It's not an easy play, though. It's it's a, I think it's a 13-yard play. So let's say fourth and 13. You can run that play. If you get it, it's just like recovering the onside. You keep going. If you miss it, then obviously they have the ball right there. And so an offensive play instead of an onside kick. Um, And so uh, those are some of the rule changes and some of the things that I thought were different. In terms of health and safety, uh, the kickoff was a little bit different. So the uh, the, the receiving team had to have think it was eight guys within 10 yards of of the ball so you don't have extremely high speed collisions which we've seen from data those are some concussive blows when you get really really high speeds on on kickoffs um, and, and you get helmet to helmet contact and so those are some things from a health and safety standpoint we try to do differently but there's a lot of cool things that are different in the NFL and uh, I think the fans really enjoyed that.
0: It always amazes me that football has always been at the tip of the spear of both innovation within technology, but also within rules. Many people don't know uh, Walter Camp wrote the original rule book. So I was lucky enough that in my staff room we would see the original Spalding rule book, and so the rules of the game. And it was a soccer rugby hybrid, and the balls we actually had balls from back in the you know back in the day, and and it goes forward, and even the Ray Tompkins House, which is the um, the administrative building. You know, Ray Tompkins was a three-time you know All-American, then went on to be a oil bajillionaire, uh, but also you know captain three national teams. So it was really exciting. And then thinking as it moved forward, that that famous meeting you know with Teddy Roosevelt about the you know the Springfield massacre where people started getting hurt, and then trying to expand the game. And the Yale Bowl is very wide, um, and so they would run every time. But Harvard, when they built their um, facility, their stadium it was so skinny that they couldn't go wide. So they couldn't widen the field. So that's how the the pass became uh, integrated in. The ball started to get, um, you know, towards its traditional shape of today because they figured that they would spread out, give space, you wouldn't have people smashing in to each other. And it sounds like the the kickoff was along those same philosophies of getting people closer to limit or spreading people out. Um, So you didn't have that immediate collision. So I love that. any, any other things that, you know, as far as the USFL, people need to know, or, you know, you mentioned as you continue to grow, we always try to make a way for people to be able to reach out and, you know, contact our speakers. Um, what's the best way to get a hold of you? And then kind of any vision towards any coaches that may be listening that want to, you know, get involved?
1: Yeah. So my email is uh, my name, Zach, Z-A-C dot Woodfin, which is my last name, W-O-O-D-F-I-N at the USFL.com. So T-H-E- usfl.com, um, but yeah, you know, I I would love to um, to take questions, and then also young coaches that are hungry. You know, we we offer um, seasonal positions. You know, um, with the USFL in terms of athletic performance, um, our model this past year we had two full time coaches, myself and our assistant director, but then we had an opportunity to bring on four seasonal coaches. Um, And those were young, younger coaches who were hungry, who wanted to work in professional football um, and they could, um, you know, afford to come to Birmingham for three or four months and then go do something else. And we'll have more of those opportunities this year, um, you know, especially going with two hubs. So we we're really on a search for some of the the hungriest, humble, smart, young coaches out there that want to get an experience in, in professional football. Um, to come on in our seasonal uh, positions, and those are paid positions, um, but they're they're entry level pay, um, and so we want people that are hungry and, and want to get you know want to get a start.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And again, there's so many nuggets in here, and I think if you're listening, you know, really take a moment and think about you know where you are as a coach, where are you going? But then, do you specifically have a path or a road map that you want to follow to get to that success? It's not good enough just to have hopes and dreams, you want to have that dream, you want to have that goal. But start installing those mentorships, start installing those networking meetings and more than just a digital social post, get out, get to know people, spend time, be where your feet are at. And then really try to make the most of each and every opportunity that you're given. But like I said, coach, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. All
1: right. Thanks so much for having me. We'll uh, we'll talk soon. Have a great day.